I'm truly excited about what God has given us this morning to look at in his holy word. And uh, I want you to realize as we begin this uh, message this morning that uh, why does God give us his holy word? He obviously gives it to us for our benefit, that we would grow closer and first and foremost to him, but also that we would enjoy in a right way the things that he's given us and the things that he has instituted and the things that he has created in this world. And so as we look at the scriptures here this morning, I want you to realize that the scriptures also are very, very practical. God doesn't waste a single thing, especially a single word in his holy word and what those words mean to you and I. We're going to be talking this morning about God's design for an amazing marriage. And as we all know that uh, marriage is something that most of us uh, have enjoyed or will enjoy, uh, know about for sure because we've been part of marriages, maybe because as a child or maybe we're part of one now as a spouse. But uh, God has an incredible design for our marriage. I don't know if your family and you or maybe your spouse and you have done jigsaw puzzles before. Our family, especially uh, Amy, uh, is famous for putting out a jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces out on a big table and leaving it there for sometimes decades till we finish that puzzle. <laughs> but uh, we've done some pretty neat ones. But I want you to imagine for just a moment this morning, if you are sitting around the table right now with your spouse, just you and your spouse, and uh, emptied out that box, and there's somewhere between 1,500 and 5,000 pieces for that puzzle on that table. And uh, you have the assignment, we're not leaving here until we finish this puzzle. You say, oh my gosh, that's going to take a long time. But then also you find out part of the parameters for putting that puzzle together. You're told that we don't have a picture of that puzzle to work off of. The box top is gone, it's missing, but you still can't leave this place until that picture is put together. You probably realize this isn't going to happen. This is impossible. There's no way that this rust would probably go through the ceiling and realize, I can't do this. Where is the box top? Well, you know that marriages are a lot like puzzles. There's a lot of pieces that go into making a marriage what God intends to be. And can you imagine for just a moment trying to, trying to realize and trying to live in a marriage that God intended a marriage without having the box top? How do we do this? And I'm here to tell you as a pastor, marrying folks all these years and being part of a number of marriages and counseling and all kinds of things and hearing their great stories, that a lot of People enter into marriage and don't feel like they need any sort of insight to do a marriage. I saw my parents do it, and they did a pretty good job, or everybody does it. We'll just figure it out as we go on. And I'm sure you're well aware that uh, more than half of the marriages in America still do not end well. They end up in divorce. And I'll tell you this, doing all the studies they've done over the years, that half the marriages that do survive, they're little more than just being roommates. Very small percentage of people come to realize truly what God had and intended for marriage. We were talking about this marriage this morning. We're talking about divorce for just a few moments. I don't want anybody in the room here that's been through possibly a divorce or been through a marriage right now to think any less of themselves today because we're looking at here. God loves us all. God has a plan for all of us right now. Even in the midst of our mistakes, even in the midst of the times that we've made maybe some wrong turns on marriage, God has a plan for your life. But I want us all to know the truth and that we might be able to share with our children, be able to understand where we're at. It's never too late to get our marriage back on track if you feel this morning like your marriage is not there. But you know, it's interesting, though, that marriages in America today 
are in serious trouble. For the most part, I believe, because of the culture. I think I've shared with you before that the divorce rate in India, a Hindu nation with 300 million gods, is less than 2%. How do they get by with less than 2% in marriages there? It's because it's a condemnation on a, on a married couple if they get divorced. It's the culture that does it. It's not their faith. It's not Hinduism. But our culture no longer believes that marriage is intended to last a lifetime. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are saying, maybe just do, do a little trial by error. There's actually people in California that can get licenses on a trial basis. I just want a one-year license for this marriage. We'll see if it works. Then maybe renew. That's not God's intention. God has a design. Where is the box top for marriages? It's right here. God has given us this incredible design for our marriage, a phenomenal design. You know, there's a lot of books out there. You can go to any local bookstore and you can ask, hey, where are your books on marriages? You go over there, there's probably a row or two on books about marriage. But I want you to know, as God is my witness here, the greatest book on marriage, don't miss this thought. I know you already know the answer. It's right here. It really is. And there's a lot of good Christian authors that kind of help us understand what God's Word has said. But you know, we're not going to really understand what God's Word says until we personally understand what God's Word says about marriage. It's important for you and I to understand the design that God has for marriage. Some of you may have heard a little bit about the F-18 Hornet. It's a Marine Corps and Navy jet fighter. And they've had phenomenal problems with oxygen in that jet. Since 2010, there's been more than 297 reported incidences of jets, that jet in particular, losing oxygen at a high altitude and at a high velocity. There's also, they're also attributing four pilot deaths from this problem. It's a huge problem. You know what it is? It's a design problem. There's something wrong with the design about auction there. I looked up kind of the steps to engineering the design process. You know, they have all kinds of steps here. I'm not going to go through them all, but they have to define the problem. First of all, on that jet, it's a problem with the auction. Then they do research. Then they specify requirements to figure it out. Then they kind of brainstorm solutions. Then they develop those solutions. Then they implement it. They build a prototype or redesign it. And then they test it and redesign again and again until they get it. God has four simple design steps for the marriage. Now, I don't want to miss them here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25. We're going to cover verses 18 through 25. I'm just going to read the last two verses there. And I want you to know, we're going to see how far we get this morning with the design. But we're going to, if we have to finish up design next week, we'll do that. Because it's that important, I don't want us to miss that. And I also want to give you a little teaser to be here next week to hear the rest of the sermon on design. But next week, we're also going to talk about the purpose. God has a design for marriages, but he also has a purpose. If we can understand those things, if we can adopt those things and make those things our own, if we can live by those thoughts, you know what's going to happen? Our marriage is going to operate at a whole other level. You've heard me say this before, but I believe this with all my heart. No matter how good your marriage is, every marriage can be better. Okay, so no matter where you're at today, I believe God has something for every one of us here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, and stand with me this morning. Please, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. So there, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. 
Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that we might see the things you'd have us to see. Father, I pray as well, Lord, too, that every married person in this room, Father, would have ears to hear and eyes to see, Father, and that we'd see the things you'd have us to see this day, that every one of us in this room, Father, even those that aren't married, Father, that may get married someday, would come to understand that you have a very specific design. It was your idea, Father, to institute marriage, not ours. Father, we also realize, Lord, that you instituted marriage, Father, before sin entered into this land, into this world. Father, we thank you right now that your design plan for marriage is perfect. Father, help us walk in such a way as that we walk upright with you in our marriages. Father, we pray all these things right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's four steps to God's design. You've heard this verse before. But step number one, it begins right there in verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. God's design for couples is that they must leave their parents. They must leave their parents. And he's not saying that you stop honoring them. He's not saying that you disavow them. He's not saying that you need to do away with your parents. What he's saying, you just need to leave them. What does that mean? It means I'm moving forward. It means that I'm going to leave. I'm going to break with the past. I'm going to be united to my future spouse here. I'm going to leave my old home and I'm going to establish a new home. What does this mean? It means I'm looking forward. I'm moving on. I have a vision for our future. I'm here to tell you, listen very carefully, there's a lot of folks that are dealing with struggles decades later after they've been married that came out of the old home. Maybe a wound from a mother, a wound from a father. I don't know if you've heard these before, but uh, a man's wound with a father is his father was absent. His father was never there. That man never received the blessing. He spends the rest of his life trying to realize that blessing in his life. I want my dad's approval. I want that unconditional love from my dad. A mother's wound to a man, you know what that is? It's a helicopter wound. It means that she continues to hover over that marriage and over that man and influence that marriage. You know, this spaghetti is pretty good, but it's not as good as my mommy used to make. You know, you don't clean the house like my mommy used to clean the house. I'm going to have my mommy come over and clean our house for us. Really? The essence here of what God's saying is that when you decide to get married, when you decide to build a home of your own, you need to kind of leave your parents behind, but also leave the past behind. Why do I do that? Because I have a vision for the future. I want to see what God wants to do in my life. I want to see what God would do as I join together with this mate. I want to have a relationship with my mate here, and I want to have one that God builds. I don't want to have one that's influenced by my parents as much as they might be great people, and most of them are. But I want to have this relationship with God and my bride. I want to see what God will do in my marriage. You know what it says right now in the Scriptures, Psalms 127, Unless the Lord builds a home, they labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God's saying, hey, I want to do a marvelous work. I want to do something that you cannot even begin to believe in your family here. I want you to understand that I'm getting ready to do a good work, so let go of your mom and dad and claim your bride and claim me. Leaving. There needs to be a severance here with the past, a severance with mom and dad, a severance and decide to move on. I need to have that vision for my future. I think you've heard me share this a couple times before maybe, but you know a lot of times we just hold on to the past. We go through life looking backwards. We go through life looking back. The only thing that we should get from the back is lessons what not to do in the future. History. It would be like you, and most of us drove here this morning in a car, or rode here in a car. Your car has two windows in it, a front and a back window. We look to the back window through the rearview mirror. 
You know, we're not going to get very far in this life if we stare in the rearview mirror. If we fixate on that rearview mirror, look at where we've been. God wants us to realize this windshield in front of us. What are the possibilities for this marriage, my wife? We all come kind of with a history here. We all come with kind of a background and expectations. God has expectations too. God has things he wants to do. If we're holding on to that rearview mirror, if we're holding on to the background, we're not going to see where God wants us to go. We're going to miss the things that God has for us. The second step here, it's the second part of chapter, uh, verse, 24, verse 24 there. It says, uh, in, in the King James Version, it says this, and he shall cleave unto his wife. New King James says, join some of the uh, translations say united. But what he's saying here is that there needs to be a permanence. There needs to be a permanence in our marriage. We need to enter into that thought of this marriage is permanent. It's going to be here forever. I'm committing this day that this marriage is going to last forever. I've done countless weddings. You've been to countless weddings. You had your own wedding. Do you take this bride to be your, holy, your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold in sickness and in health, all the things there until death do you part? Did you make that commitment right there? I counsel them with the people I've married. But I say, you know, that's, that's the most important part of the service. It's a vow. You're making a covenant with your spouse and with God. You ever ponder the thought what a contract is versus a covenant? You think there's a difference? What is the difference between a contract and a covenant? I can tell you very simply that a contract is an agreement between two people. As long as you do this, I'll do this. You know, and, and many people in the business world, and some of you guys have your own company, some of you work in big companies where you're responsible for it, but you realize if somebody breaks the contract, that kind of null and voids it for me. You didn't deliver on what you said, but so I don't really need to deliver on what I want to do. A marriage is not that. Too many people look at a marriage like that that is a contract. You know, as long as you're a good wife, as long as you're a good husband, as long as you provide, as long as you do the things I need, as long as you participate in my life and make me feel fulfilled, I'm going to stay married to you. The minute you stop doing that, though, I'm out of here. I'm finished and done. That was not God's intention for marriage. God's intention was that it would be a permanent binding agreement. It will last forever. You know, I want you to think about the word cleave for just a second. What does cleave mean? Cleave means to glue together to another thing, to form a permanent bond. I think it's pretty funny. I don't know if you've seen that advertisement on TV for Gorilla Glue. And it glues everything. It has, and the most amazing thing that I saw for a glue, I'm you've got to be kidding me, that's pretty strong glue. He saws a boat in half. Right down the middle. I mean, it's a big boat. And he just falls apart like that. He puts it back together with Gorilla Glue. Then the next thing you see, he's out in the water. You see the seam down the middle of the boat that's been put back together with glue. He's going across the waves, choppy waves, like 50 miles an hour, 50 knots an hour there. He's moving. But he put that boat back together with Gorilla Glue. That's just a small image of what God's talking about here when he's talking about cleave. He's saying no matter what happens, no matter how many stormy waves we're going to cross as a married couple, we're put together by like glue. We're bonded together. Nothing can come between us. God designed marriage, and don't miss this out this morning. We just talked about covenant. God designed the marriage to be a covenant. It's a permanent relationship. And let me kind of give you that definition of a covenant marriage on the, on the definition I just gave you about a covenant. A covenant marriage is a lifelong permanent binding agreement of unconditional love towards imperfect people. An imperfect person. Listen, I might be the only one that can raise my hand that you married somebody perfect. I did. None of us do. As much as I get in trouble for saying this, Amy's not perfect either, okay? 
we're, none of us are perfect, okay? We all marry imperfect people. But you know, I have a covenant with God first and foremost, but also with my wife. This is permanent. The word divorce is not going to happen in our, in our marriage. It's not going to be talked about. That's not something that will ever enter into discussions. No matter how, how adversarial maybe some things come between a, a thing we're trying to decide or a judgment we're trying to do or a decision we're trying to make. I want you to think about this for a second. Marriage is not about mainly being in love. That's part of it. It's mainly about keeping the covenant. Okay? You may have had experiences like this sometimes that, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling the love today, but I still like my wife, okay? Doesn't really understand it. The whole idea is that it's a covenant. I'm staying with my wife thick and thin. God desires for us to work through it. And I'll tell you this, and I'm sure those of you that have been married for a while know this too. Some of the greatest learning experiences that Amy and I have had in our marriages have come on the rockiest roads. When we've gone through some of the hardest times, We've gone through times when we didn't know if we were going to make it. I put my wife through some hard times. Right? I owned a company and lost everything. I, all kinds of things that we've done on the way that I've made judgments or decisions and didn't turn out the way I was hoping they would. And she's stood right beside me all through all those. You know what happened in my little life as I watched her standing beside me in those hard times? I realized what an incredible woman God gave me. It's these times that we grow. Jesus Christ himself said, you're going to see my strength in your weakness. You're going to see me in a greater way. I'd rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. The idea of living in a covenant here is huge. Marriage is first and foremost about putting the glory of God on display. How do we do that? God gave us a covenant. God had the old covenant and has a new covenant now because of Jesus Christ. Those of us that have Jesus Christ realize that new covenant is all about grace. God gave us a relationship with him again through Jesus Christ. And because of that grace, God gave us something we did not deserve. But God gave us grace, and we have an everlasting covenant now because of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're going to get there in a minute. How, how, how is it that nothing can separate us from the love of God? It's because of Jesus Christ and that covenant. He made a covenant with us that says he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. When we live in the covenant of God and we put God on display in our marriage, you know what happens? We become more and more like God. We begin living like God. We begin realizing that, hey, nothing can separate me from God. Nothing can separate me from my spouse. Nothing, nothing can take that away. Marriage is a display of God. I am yours. She is mine. Period. That's it. There's no more discussion. That's it for a lifetime. God intended for us, first and foremost, to separate ourselves from our parents, to leave our parents, then he, decided, and he desires for us to make this permanent. We make that permanent because of a covenant we have with God and our bride. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. Can you imagine for just a moment walking down the beach with your wife, some beautiful beach you've been at and kind of on vacation, walk down that beach and just feeling the moment and feeling just very romantic and you want to just say something really nice to your wife, you look out of her, you're holding her hand and look over at her and say, hey, Honey, I want to tell you, of all the three billion women in this whole world, I want to tell you that you're in my top ten. Okay? You're in my top ten. I can only imagine Amy saying, oh, I feel so blessed. What a wonderful, endearing comment. You're top ten. That's awesome. Of all of three billion women, you picked me in your top ten. Who are the other nine? 
Listen, God called us out to be monogamous, first of all, but he also has a very special blessing for you and I. That I'm going to give you one person to spend your lifetime here on earth, but also you're going to move into eternity alongside that marriage. I give you the power. I give you the insight. I give you the wisdom. I give you all the things you need. I have grace available to you to make that marriage last for a lifetime. There's no reason if we get serious about following God's design for marriage that it doesn't last for a lifetime. It can. Once again, I'm not sending shame anywhere that hasn't answered that way. God himself exemplifies that kind of love. God loves us. God loved us so much he gave us his only begotten son. I want to give you a little tease right now for next week because I want to do something very important here for a moment. We're going to finish this sermon next week. i got so much more. Another 45 minutes here. But I want to give you a homework assignment, and then I want to do the most important thing that we do in every service. And I want to take an extra minute to do that this morning. But in the four thoughts here, we talked about, we talked about severance, we talked about permanence, we talked about unity. Next, we're going to talk about intimacy. Those are the four things. I want you to look at those two verses this week, verse 24 and 25 and 2. And I want you to see if you can see in verse 24 the plan for salvation as well, okay? I want you to look at that. We're going to talk about that next week. I woke up early on Friday morning, and I thought about the Billy Graham funeral. I hadn't seen it, so I started flipping through the channels and happened to be on one of the channels. They were playing it back. So before anybody else in my house got up that morning, I turned on that TV and watched the Billy Graham funeral. It touched my heart a hundred different ways as I watched that, heard the testimonies. You know as well as I do that Billy Graham touched more people in this world than any man ever has. He had a simple message. He said, God loves you. God loves you. He'd go on and explain that God sent his son into this world while we're yet sinners. And he died upon that cross for you and I. He'd share a lot of the scriptures there and say we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He'd explain sin a lot of times, and I believe that's one of the things a lot of times we don't really understand in this world. We're all sinners. There's nothing untruthful in that Bible. God's word is true. We are all sinners. We have a hard time with that. So how can you call me a sinner? That guy over there is a lot worse than I am, or that woman over there is a lot worse than I am. We're all sinners. God's definition of sin is that we miss his mark. We're not living the way that God called us to be. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is Jesus through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. Well, what does that mean? What does God's word mean? It means because of my sin, without Jesus Christ, I'm destined for eternity in hell. I don't want to go to hell. I know you don't either. The idea here is the fact that you know, because I'm separated from God because of sin, God is a perfect God. Heaven is a perfect place. God cannot allow sin into heaven. I stand no chance of ever living in the afterlife with, with God Almighty in His presence in heaven because of my sin. 
I've missed the mark. I'm here to tell you, if you can't remember last time you missed the mark, you did it when you were a little kid. Your mommy says, do not eat the cookies. You sneak a cookie. Your mom says, go to your room and clean your room. No. We all sin. We're born into sin because of Adam and Eve. We have a sin nature. God has told us that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But Billy Graham, we proclaim there's good news. It's Jesus Christ. He died upon that cross for you and I. I was touched by the music. If you didn't see the funeral, every one of Billy Graham's children stood up there and gave a testimony. They were all very powerful, but one of them really struck me that morning. It was Ruth Graham. Namesake after her mother, Billy Graham, gave her the nickname, though, a bunny. Because when she was born, she looked like a bunny. So she carried that her whole life. Her nickname was Bunny. Bunny got up there and thanked everybody for coming. But then she said she had her own Billy Graham story. She said, I was married for 21 years. And that marriage ended. I was devastated. She says that no girl ever wants to disappoint their father. Think about this. Nobody would ever want to disappoint Billy Graham. She had both of those hard feelings. Didn't know what to do, so she moved away from home. Started going to church, and while she was at that church, she had children that were just about fully grown. She realized that, uh, you know, they're going to be gone before long. Pastor of the church where she's going introduced her to a recent widower, a man that had lost his wife. So she started dating. Started dating and getting too, too serious too fast. She said, my mom called me from Seattle one time and said, you're going too fast. Just slow down. Let us meet him. Take it slow. Take it slow. She said, no, Mom. Her father, Billy Graham, called her from Tokyo and said, hey, slow down. We want to meet this young man. We don't want anything to go on that doesn't need to be going on in your life. You're vulnerable right now. Slow down. Well, she kind of had a big attitude and said, you know, I don't, I don't need to do that. My mom and dad have never been divorced. They don't know how it feels like to be a single parent. And so she married this man against her parents' wishes. She said she got married on New Year's Day. She said within 24 hours, she realized she'd made the mistake of her life. After five weeks, she left them. It was brutal. It was mean-spirited. It was cruel. But she was devastated. How could I not listen to my parents? How could I not listen to God? She's sharing this with a TV audience of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, 2,000 people in attendance that day, bearing her heart about how she had made such horrible, horrible mistakes. She said, I realize... I needed help. I wanted to go home. She said, I wasn't sure how my parents would receive me. If they didn't want me there, I didn't know if I could take the scorn or the rebuke that I'd made a mistake. She decided to go home. She said, if you know, my parents live on a hilltop. As I was getting closer to home, I began to get more anxious. I start up the road that goes actually up to their house, and I was winding through the curving road going up that mountain. I'm 
as I got to the top of the hill there, just very concerned about what my father was going to say and my mother, as I rounded the top of that hill, there was my father standing in the driveway. I parked my car. I got out. My dad ran over to me. Wrapped his arms around me. So I'm glad you're home. We love you so very much. She said, my dad's not God. But that day I saw God in my father. I want you to hear this this morning. We've all made mistakes. We've all made wrong turns in our life. We've all done things that we're not proud of. Maybe we feel like God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe if we don't know God personally through Jesus Christ, we think that God would never want me. You know what God's saying in heaven right now? I want you to come home. I love you. I loved you so very much that I gave you my son, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message in simplicity. That God loves us. Billy Graham preached that to millions and millions and millions of people. They heard it. A lot of times we think this whole Christian thing, this whole receiving Jesus Christ is so complex and so hard to understand. I, I can't get there. How do I get there? I want you to know this morning, based on the truth of God's holy word here, that God says he loves you. He says, I want you to come home. I want you to be part of my family. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, maybe you hear God knocking on the door of your heart this morning. Maybe you hear God saying, hey, you've been away for too long. I want you to come back home. I know you believe me. I know you believe in me. But I want you to come back home. I want you to let me wrap my arms around you and tell you that everything's going to be good because we have each other to walk through this storm with. God desires for every one of us to come home.